0: we go. That's better. It's good to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here and I am going to be bringing God's word to us this morning from Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 13. So if you want to use the Pew Bible, we'll be on page 909. In the Pew Bible, that's page 909. and as Craig mentioned earlier, If you don't have a Bible, please take it home. We want you to read it, to get to know our great God through it, that uh, you might have a saving knowledge of Christ. So we would love for you to read it. And as you're opening your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, I want to give you just a very brief reminder about the book of Acts. So it was written by Luke ...who also wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, the book of Acts is really just a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 1, which we considered a few weeks ago, we see Christ ascends, right? He's lived a perfect life. He's died on the cross. He's been raised from the grave. And now he ascends in chapter 1 to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And right before he goes back to heaven... In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so in, in that regard, you could say that Acts 1.8 is like the table of contents for the book of Acts. And then today's passage, what we'll consider might kind of be like the introduction that comes after the table of contents. And so with that in mind, let's pray now. Father, we thank you for today. We ask that you would use your word to shape our hearts and our minds. That we'd see more of your glory through it, that you would help us to uh, have greater affections for you and the way that you work in us and in our world and that you would produce a greater obedience in us as we consider your word today. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. When well, in 1913, the first movie trailer was released. And it, at that point, movie trailers came after the film, which is why they actually got the name movie trailer, right? It trailed the feature film. But it was soon discovered that audiences quickly lost uh, interest ...in seeing movie trailers because they had already seen what they came to see... ...which was the main movie. And so instead, movie trailers are now put at the beginning of a movie. But these trailers, they show us characters... ...and the great problems that, will, that they will face in the movie... That they're, te- they're, ...that they're showing us that will be coming. And they do this to build suspense... ...to get you to, to pique your interest so that you'll pay money and come back and watch that movie in the future. Well, today's passage is, in some ways, similar to a movie trailer. It gives us a preview of the Holy Spirit's mighty work in and through the disciples that's going to take place in the rest of the book of Acts. So with that in mind, let's read Acts 1-13. When the day of Pentecost arrived they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them each one of them and they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance now there were dwelling in jerusalem jews devout men from every nation under heaven So as I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking to myself, "Well, what what might be some catchy titles?" And then as the titles like kept coming to me, I thought, "Well, I can't really say those, so I'm gonna I'm gonna shape them in the form of if we had a movie trailer, these are the titles for the movie." Um, so just to to help us think and 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 start thinking about this text at large, I thought, "Well, maybe if this were a movie, it'd be." Titled "Filled with the Spirit" or "Drunk on the Spirit," or according to verses fourteen and fifteen, maybe we could name it "Drunk at Nine A.M." or "Hitting the Sauce" or "Sipping on the Spirit," or it's five o'clock somewhere. But that doesn't really work too well for a maybe a title for a sermon. So we're just calling those movie titles. But we. As we read this, it's easy to not be stunned by what's taking place in this passage. Maybe because you've heard this, read this so many other times that it's just like, yep, okay, that happened, that happened. But if you think about what just took place and what we read, if that were to happen today, right here in this room, these extraordinary events, they would probably stun us, right? If Like verse 2, a sound of a mighty rushing wind filled this room. Or according to verse 3, divided tongues as of fire rested on every single believer in this room. Would you then be amazed? Would you be stunned? Or like verses 6 and following, if we heard people speaking in different tongues. English and Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, German, Chinese, Arabic. All of us hearing different languages maybe, but without an interpreter. Or even if verse 11 were happening here today, people gathered in this room from all backgrounds, worshiping the same God, singing the same songs, testifying of the mighty works of God. Would we be stunned? Would we be perplexed and astonished as we see what's happening in this passage I think we probably would be. and We would see this as extraordinary, and literally this is life-altering. Even for us today, this is life-altering. Prominent 19th century pastor and preacher, a guy named by the, by the name of Octavius L- Winslow. He was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon and J.C. Ryle, people you've probably heard of, but... I trust many or maybe even none of you have heard of Octavius. Speaking on the Holy Spirit, he said, all that we spiritually know of ourselves, all we know of God and of Jesus and his word, we owe to the teachings of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why I say this passage is life-altering because everything that you and I know, if the words of Ocho Winslow, as one of my friends calls him, If this is true, that everything that we spiritually know about ourselves, about God, about Jesus and his word, if all that we know is due to the work and the teachings of the Holy Spirit, there's much to be thankful for in the Holy Spirit. And Winslow goes on to say, all the real life, sanctification, strength and comfort we are made to possess on our way to glory, we must ascribe to the Holy Spirit. So everything, as we walk the road with Christ, as we walk in him, everything that we gain, sanctification, that is righteousness, any strength and comfort that we gain from walking with Christ, it's all due to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so this passage, I think it brings great hope. It's the fulfillment of many promises, even the prophecy that Craig read for us earlier. And so there are three truths I, would, I want us to take from this passage today. The first is in verses 1 through 4. We're going to see that the Spirit fills. Second, in verses 5 through 11, we'll see that the Spirit unites. And then in the last two verses, 12 and 13... We're going to see that the spirit amazes. So let's consider now verses one through four. The spirit fills. Verse one says, "When the day of Pentecost arrived, there were all together in one." They were all together in one place. So the day of Pentecost, if you don't know, it's one of three Jewish festivals where people, uh, Jews, would come to Jerusalem to celebrate and to worship God, and it was the fiftieth day. After the the Sabbath of Passover. And so Jews are coming. But we see here that the disciples. They were all together in one place. And it's debated. Well where was this place actually? Was it the upper room? That we read of in chapter 1 of Acts? Or is it the second option? Which is it could be in the temple courts. Where this is happening. You read later. Or we read in this passage. That the entire house was filled with this sound of a mighty rushing wind. So some people say it's the upper room. Thinking about Acts chapter 1 where the disciples were. But then others will say well it's... If you keep reading in this, in this chapter then we see that it's the temple courts. Which might even go hand in hand with what Luke says in his gospel. Chapter 24 verse 53. That they referring to the disciples were continually in the temple... Blessing God. So we don't know exactly, but we do know later in this chapter that there's, uh, once Peter starts preaching, there's at least 3,000 people, if not more, around. Because the 3,000 come to faith in Christ. And so perhaps this, for these first four verses, we see the Spirit descend and they're in the upper room, but then the disciples make their way to the temple courts. We're not sure. Wherever this takes place, though, we see that the Spirit comes in, upon the disciples in great power. And we see this with two signs. The first is the Spirit's described like a wind, verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So the Spirit comes and is made evident. It's an audible thing that they hear. But then also it's not just audible, we also see it's visual, right? Verse three, the Spirit's described like a fire and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And so at this point, like my mind is is churning, I've got all these questions, what's going on? Maybe you have read this before and you've got questions that you're asking of the text, but the text doesn't tell us Exactly what it looks like because it says that the 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 mighty rushing wind, it was or the sound was like a mighty rushing wind. And these divided tongues were as of fire. So we don't know exactly what it is, but we do know for sure, as one theologian has said, it's perhaps pointless to ask the explicit question about the wind and fire. For there is no likelihood of your questions being satisfactorily answered. We have no means of knowing. But we do know that the wind and the fire was held to symbolize the Spirit of God. Whatever else we may say about the disciples' experience, it's certain what really matters is the Spirit of God came upon them in power. We even know that Luke records the words of John the Baptist in Luke 3.16 where, talking about Jesus, John the Baptist says there's the arrival of one who is coming that will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And that's exactly what's happening. These symbols of wind and fire, we even see them in the Old Testament and they always represent the presence of God. So just think about Moses, right? Hearing the voice of God in the burning bush. Or God's presence With the Israelites while they're in the wilderness through the pillar of fire as he leads them. Or the wind in Ezekiel's prophecy when the dead bones are revived. So this wind and fire, it's always used to represent the presence of God. But God's presence up until this day of Pentecost, it didn't dwell in God's people on a large scale, right? Just think about times that we know for sure the Spirit has come upon people In the Old Testament, in Numbers, the Spirit is is given to those men who are going to be building and crafting the temple. It's given to Balaam, the prophet. In Deuteronomy, the Spirit comes upon Joshua, Moses' successor. We also know that the Spirit comes upon at least four of the judges in the Old Testament. Othniel, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. We also know the Spirit comes upon Saul and David and the prophets. And even in the New Testament Gospels, the Spirit's with John the Baptist and his parents Elizabeth and Zechariah and Simeon. And then the Spirit's on Jesus' mother. And then the Spirit even descends on Jesus at his baptism. So we see something very similar here with the disciples. But what we see here is also different than the way the Spirit has previously worked. Look at verse 4. And they, referring to the disciples, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Spirit resides in believers here. Not just one, but in all of them. So Jesus sends the fullness of his Spirit. Right? And, and, And if we were to have kept reading later on in the same chapter... Luke records the sermon of Peter. If you want to look in your Bibles, it's in verses 32 and 33. It says, this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, referring to Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So the Father gave the Spirit to the Son, and after Jesus has lived a perfect life, died on the cross, ascended, then Jesus sends the Spirit. So to, to that, I say, well, praise God for that. Because Christ did not leave us alone, right? What started at Christmas, the birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, is being fulfilled at Pentecost as the Spirit fulfills or fills believers. God remains with his people, even though Emmanuel had ascended to the right hand of God, as the Spirit's given to God's people. So, this is glorious news because now the Spirit dwells in all of us. One pastor says the day of Pentecost has abiding significance. The Spirit came and stayed. The day of Pentecost was like A mayor installing a great water system in a city. From that point forward, every time a new home is built, households can connect to the water system. In other words, the day of Pentecost was the installation of God's new source of blessing and power for the benefit of his people. So this one-time occurrence of the Spirit being given like this is for the good of all believers... And the Spirit fills all believers after this. And it's good news, right? Because up to this point, the Spirit had come upon great and mighty leaders. But now the Spirit dwells in the gentle and the lowly, just like you and I. And So God isn't just working for you. God isn't just working with you. God has filled you with the Spirit. He's working in you. And so that ought to be good news for us, right? That we can overcome sin because the Spirit is within us. Are you growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? There's good news. You can because the Spirit is is active and alive in each one of us who have faith in Christ. So praise God that the Spirit is within us, all who believe. Praise Him that the Spirit's working within us to conform us into the image of Christ. Praise God that the Spirit's working to rid us of sin that we might walk in righteousness. And all of this is good news, right? I'm thankful for all of this. But it's also no coincidence that the result... The result of the indwelling Spirit is miraculous speech. Look at verse 4 again. The last part of verse 4 says, They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this is what I believe is not the same thing that uh, Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 12-14 through 14 when we're talking about um, speaking in tongues there. I think this is a very specific Instance of speaking in tongues. And Luke makes it very clear that this speaking in tongues is clearly known languages on the earth. We don't have enough time to get into what Paul deals with. All right, so if you're looking for some controversy, save that for another sermon. All right. But this time when the disciples are speaking in other tongues, it's very clearly known languages. And the result of being filled with the Spirit, is that the disciples' speech in other languages magnifies Christ. The intent here is not to draw attention to the speaking in other languages. The intent is to magnify Christ, to make much of Jesus for those who spoke different languages. Because if you look at verse 11, it says that they were telling of the mighty works of God. And if we had kept on reading and we looked at the sermon of of Peter in verses 15 through 40, you'd see everything about Peter's sermon is talking about Jesus Christ. But if you remember the life of Peter, just a few weeks prior to this, Peter was denying Jesus in front of a little girl. Now, in Acts chapter 2, he's standing before people from all nations with great boldness preaching Christ. So if you've placed faith in Christ, if you've received the Spirit, then you too can preach the gospel with boldness. We don't always get the same results, right? I've never preached a sermon and 3,000 people come to Christ in one day. I've not even seen 3,000 people come to Christ as a result of me sharing the gospel in my entire life. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not a very bold person. I'm not a very smart person. But what I can guarantee you from this passage is that the Spirit is with you. You have the Word of Christ dwelling within you and the Spirit that will bring that to remembrance when you share the gospel. And so be encouraged, Christian. God's Spirit fuels God's mission by empowering weak people, even like the Apostle Peter even like you and I. So the Spirit fills believers. The Spirit empowers us. And now let's consider verses 5 through 11. The Spirit unites believers. Look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So these Jews that were there, they'd been scattered, living in foreign lands or now back in Jerusalem, And then verse six. and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So these Jews who had been ancestors had been scattered hundreds of years prior because of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, are now in Jerusalem. They're here for this festival of Pentecost, and they hear a sound that's intriguing. It's not the sound of the, the, the wind or the sound like the mighty rushing wind. According to this verse, it's, they're actually intrigued because they hear the sound of people speaking in their own languages. They're amazed. They're astonished. Look at verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are Galileans speaking? Or are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And then verse 8. And how is it that we hear? each one of us in his own native language. That would be like someone from Bell Buckle, Tennessee. And yes, that's actually a town in Tennessee. It'd be like someone from Bell Buckle, Tennessee coming to Washington, D.C. and starting to preach at one of the metro stations. And you would look, and you might be able to look at them by their Carhartt overalls and say, they're probably not from D.C., right? But yet when they speak, with the many nations represented in D.C. going through the metro, these people can see. They're speaking perfect Arabic or German or Spanish. And they're amazed. These people, they're not from where I'm from. And we see this list of nations, verses 9 through 11. Parthians and Medes, Elamites and resident of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This is the reversal of what we see at Babel, right? In Genesis 11, people come together, the nations come together, they're at that point speaking one language. And they come together to celebrate and to worship essentially their own intelligence and their own ingenuity. Because they come to build this large tower and make a name for themselves. So what does God do? He judges them. He curses them, right? The nations that all spoke one language at that point, God confused their language. So that no one could understand each other. God scattered them and they begin filling the earth. And at Pentecost the curse of the babel is being reversed. The spirit is sent from heaven to unify a people for God that will bear his name among the nations. We see that, right, verse 11. They said they're telling in our own language or in our in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So people from all over the earth Are in Jerusalem. They're hearing of God. They're hearing of his greatness. And so this mandate from God in the very beginning. To be fruitful and multiply. It's being fulfilled even right before them. And it's still being fulfilled through you and I. This command of Christ to make disciples from all nations. It's being empowered by the spirit of Christ. So the disciples, their ministry. What we're going to see in the rest of the book of Acts. It's empowered by the Spirit of God. So the Spirit was given to Christ at his baptism, before he began his ministry, and now the Spirit's given to unite all believers to initiate the ministry of the church. So the Spirit unites all believers from all nations. And maybe you've experienced something like this before, where maybe you've gone on a mission trip. You've met a Christian from another area, whether it's here in the U.S. or overseas. And almost instantly, there's this closeness, this this bond. You feel united to that believer because of the Spirit working in us, in you. Even though you've never met them, you feel this closeness with other believers. Because we're united in purpose, in a purpose of living for Christ and proclaiming Christ. We're united for the purpose of glorifying God and making disciples. And so maybe you've even heard Pastor Stephen or myself say that from the pulpit in a call to worship one time. Right? Hamilton Baptist Church, we exist to glorify God by making disciples. The Spirit empowers us. It unites us and empowers us to make disciples as we proclaim the gospel. So if we are filled by the Spirit and if we are united by the Spirit as we proclaim Christ, we can expect people to be amazed. They may be amazed and believe or another option is they may be amazed and then persecute or even mock us. We see that in verses 12 and 13, right? The Spirit amazes. Look at verse 12 with me. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So people are seeing the Spirit, give the disciples the ability to speak in other languages. And what happens? They're bewildered according to verse 6. Or verse 7 says they're, they're amazed and astonished. Or what we just read, verse 12, says they were amazed and and perplexed. People are curious. They want to know what's going on. They hear these people speaking in their own language and what's going on? How do we explain this? What does it mean? I think they're truly intrigued and want to know more. But then also in verse 13, we see a different response. But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Right, so there's people that even when you want to talk about Jesus, you already are anticipating some people are, are going to mock you or make fun of you or roll their eyes at you. That's what's happening here to the disciples. There's some looking on who think they're so crazy that they're drunk even at 9 a.m. in the morning. And so there may even be someone here today who thinks, man, th- these people are crazy. I even felt a little bit of this last night as we had two people that aren't normally with us at dinner, with us. And we're talking just a little bit about the sermon. And as I'm talking about, about Jesus sending the Spirit, I'm thinking, they, they probably think this is a, a bit ridiculous. And I'm even having these thoughts as I'm talking. And, and these are kids, nine and eleven. And the reason why I'm thinking this, going through my mind, is because I know the home they're raised in. They're not raised in a home where Jesus is talked about. And so just think about it. The first time that you maybe ever heard anything about God, and you hear about the Spirit, right? You might even think it's just ridiculous enough, or some people do, that there's this God who's created all things. Everything that we see is a result of that God. That's crazy. That's crazy. And then the thought of, well, there's also this second person of the Trinity that we call Jesus. And he was actually a historical person that people believe in. And he was perfect. I mean, I think even atheists will say, nobody's perfect. Everybody's at least thought something wrong. Sinful. They may not use that terminology. And so even just the thought of believing that there's a God who created all things, that's silly. There's Jesus, this perfect man who claims to be divine, that's even more ridiculous. But then to say that there's this third person of the Trinity who's also just as divine as the Father and the Son, that seems kind of crazy. And then to say that not only does the Spirit exist, but he resides in all of those who believe. To someone who doesn't know Christ, that seems crazy. It seems ridiculous. And that's what these people, I think, are thinking here. Like, There's no other way to explain this. They've got to be drunk. Something's going on. But I want to tell you, based on God's word, there is a triune God who has eternally existed, who's created the heavens and the earth, the Son who came and lived a perfect life, who has died on the cross, been raised from the grave, and after he ascended, he sent the Spirit that we have seen today in this passage to dwell within every single one of us who would believe. And to the onlooking world that mocks us, we're foolish. We're silly. But that is what we believe. It's not just fables and old wives' tales. And so if, you, if you're here even this morning, and you kind of find yourself in the, 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 the camp of thinking that these people are ridiculous, that they might believe that there's actually a Holy Spirit. I have been praying for you this week. I've been praying that the Spirit of God would even convict you with what sounds like foolishness this morning and would give you eyes to see the truth of God and ears to hear the good news of salvation in Christ, praying that you would give up living for yourself and follow Christ. So if that's you today, I would love to talk with you after the service for as long as you want to talk. I imagine anybody in here that maybe if you came with someone, they would love to talk with you about this Savior who sent the Holy Spirit. But also, church, this isn't just for the non-believer. This is for you and I, too. So I want to remind us that the Holy Spirit has already done a miraculous work in reviving you. And bringing you to life, you who were once dead in your trespasses, have been made alive in Christ. He has brought you to life. And that same spirit that brought you to life and gave you faith can also give life and faith to others. And so do you believe this? Don't answer out loud. But do you believe this? Do you truly in the depths of your heart still believe this? When you even think about sharing the gospel, do you truly think, I'm going to share the gospel with this person? Ask God for opportunities to share the gospel with someone and truly believe that the power of God can bring dead people to life. Because I think if we did, then we might be just a little more eager to share the gospel. If we truly believe that that person at work or that person in your neighborhood or in your family, that God can take that antagonistic person that hates Jesus and change them like he did the Apostle Paul, then maybe, just maybe, we would be eager to share the gospel. Even if there are people that will mock us. I want that for us. I want that for my own life. I want to be someone, I want to be a, a, a dad, I want to be a neighbor who's quick to share the gospel. I've been praying that God would work that in us as a church maybe this coming year. That three months from now we might be baptizing someone because you've shared the gospel in your neighborhood. Or six months from now, students, seniors, You've got six months-ish in your high school. It's no accident that you're there. So would you use the next six months to make much of Jesus, proclaim him, talk to people about him, that we might see new brothers and sisters brought into the faith? May God make us a church that is quick to share the gospel. Because we are ones who have been filled with the Spirit. We've been united by the Spirit. And now let us share the gospel that the lost may be amazed at the good news and respond in faith to Christ. Let's pray now. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that you have given us your word that we could know you You reveal yourself to us through it. And today you've revealed to us, although many of us have probably known or heard this, that you have also given to us your spirit if we've placed faith in Christ. And so would you bring salvation today through your word, through your spirit, but would you also embolden us who have already placed faith in Christ to share the good news because we delight in in Jesus, because we are emboldened and filled by the Spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.